All right, again, now I'm recording this for real now. Welcome to the Black Health Academy's first Friday, Get Planted, Introduction to a Whole Foods Plant-Based Lifestyle. Subject, what I had to overcome to become plant-based, right? Because y'all gonna stop putting me on a pedestal. I remember Oprah said one time, don't make me extraordinary to let yourself off the hook, right? Meaning, don't be like, oh, she can, she's special. It's something about her, right? You got it easy. This was all available to you so that you don't have to take responsibility for your inability to take action and be great at it, right? And so I'm going to tell you what I had to overcome to be plant-based, right? Because a lot of the things you struggle with, and I'm going to go over four things today. And one of the things that... <clears throat> inspired me to write this talk. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina two weekends ago at a conference called the Peapod Conference, Plant-Based Prevention of Disease. And the very first speaker said something that really stuck with me. And he said, when we become vegan, we, and then we suggest it to other people, we often forget what we had to overcome to become vegan. Right. And we can apply that to anything in our lives. Right. You ever think about when you're giving somebody advice or something, whether it's on the job, in the in your personal lives, and you say, all you got to do is do this. Right. Because you've mastered it. And we often it's a, it's fleeting what we overcame to get where we are. And so we make suggestions saying it's easy or it's simple or they can do it and make it seem like it doesn't take as much work because but we're not sharing that other part. Mostly because we might have forgot, right? I've been plant-based for a while. It is pretty easy to me now. I'm not going to sit here and act like I struggle. I don't. It's easy. It's second nature, right? But I'm going to be extremely transparent with you this morning and share what I overcame to get here. And I'm going to share four things. I could have went through a laundry list, but I'm going to share four main things. Um, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Anybody heard of this book? So I read this book. And this speaks to exactly where we're talking about this morning. Malcolm Gladwell, in this book, Outliers, <clears throat> the whole point of the book is to get you to rethink how you believe, um, what you believe about people like Bill Gates, right? What you believe about people like Michael Jordan. What you believe about people who seem extraordinary, right? Who seems to surpass everybody else, right? And what we tend to believe and say about individuals like that is that they're outliers. And what Malcolm Gladwell does in this book is he, he goes through with this really finite and impressive amount of research and he talks about these individuals or these entities and what other advantages or privilege they had that allowed them to be that great right and he's like no what if bill gates what if the university he was going to didn't allow him access to the computer lab every night after hours right that's a privilege we don't know about right and so he talks about all these different circumstances environmentally family their lineage just just you know, being born free in the U.S. is a privilege, right? You have certain privileges that allow you access to certain opportunity. And so I'm gonna, what I'm going to do special with this lecture today is not only I'm, am I going to give you the thing that I had to overcome, I'm going to give you my solution, but then I'm going to be extremely transparent and I'm going to give you the privilege that I had that allowed me to get there. Does that make sense? So then I want you to begin to think about what privilege you had that allowed you and gives you the benefits that you have. So when you tell somebody saving money is easy, all you got to do is this. I want you to start beginning to think, 
Well, dang, my mom did used to talk to me about it growing up. And I was, I did, I did, I was able to get a full ride to college and I'm not burdened with school loans. There, there are some things that you don't think about that make it easier for you to do the things you do that you tell everybody else is easy, right? So although it is easy for me now and I overcame stuff, I'm gonna share with you my privilege as well, okay? All right, so my first one, and I got my list here so I can write. First thing that I had to overcome to go plant-based, and this is very common for many of you guys, is food intimidation, right? Now, what does this look like? Food intimidation is when you guys say things to me like, I don't know how to cook that, I don't know where to find that, and I don't know how to use that, right? So you see foods and hear about like, what, Lisa, what is nutritional yeast? Which store do you buy that in? Where did you get that quinoa from, right? So a lot of times people have an issue with going plant-based because I'm saying, okay, take out your meat, take out your dairy, right? And now I'm telling you that you need to try all these things and eat stuff like this and you have no idea either where to buy it or how to cook it when you get home, right? And so that's intimidating for a lot of people. I remember Thomas, um, when I first started coaching Thomas, hey, Thomas was in his 40s when he started working with me. Thomas was raised in Mississippi and he said everything I ate, even vegetables, was fried, right? And Thomas said, Lisa, I've never had a fresh vegetable. Every vegetable I have has come out of a can or was frozen. So you standing here right now telling me to eat fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables, I don't know what that, I can go buy it. He said, I passed that stuff in the market, but when I get it home, I don't know what to do with it. So that was a barrier for him, right? He was intimidated about cooking. He said, fresh green beans. I just get them out the can, open them up, and dump them in something, right? And I, and I had to, you know, stifle my shock at a person being in their 40s having never eaten a fresh vegetable or cooked one, right? So you can imagine how intimidating that might be. Now, for you guys, that might not be your issue. But if I say, well, last time you had a parsnip, or artichoke, or, or something like that, a rutabaga. Where do I get with that? How do I do it? It's hard. A squash, how do I peel that, right? A palm, I remember being intimidated by a pomegranate when I first started. And I'm like, okay, now I know these are high in antioxidants. I know they good for you. They kind of cute, right? Little color. I'm like, dang. And I, but, so if you buy just the pomegranate seeds in the market, they won't, you know, have your rent, have your mortgage payment, right? I'm, I'm not paying $12 for 12 pomegranate seeds. I'm like, so I'm going to do the easy thing and just buy the pomegranate. I'm like, I don't know how to cut this thing. It's big. And do you guys know it took me weeks to go on YouTube and Google how to cut a pomegranate? Yeah, I just was scared of it. I'm like, I don't feel like figuring it out, right? <laughs> Do y'all hear the privilege in that? You had that, you had that exposure. I didn't. I ain't know an Indian, but I did eat apples. That was the extent. So you had already been exposed to that. So do you see what I'm saying, right? And so that's a lot of you guys' issue, right? So, so that was my first issue was food intimidation. So what that means was, and also, I'm going to make sure I check my notes, things that, okay, so food intimidation is not just new stuff that you've ne never had before, but how do you reintroduce old stuff that you're quite familiar with in a new way, i.e., 
Well, I told my dad, I'm like, um, can you make me a pot of beans with no meat in it? He's like, oh, I don't know how to. <laughs> He's like, what? Don't put a hunk of meat in the beans is what you're saying, right? You know, you repeat it back and make sure you got it, right? Don't, so you want me to make a pot of greens, please, without meat. So is that intimidating? Something you've always cooked a certain way, and I'm telling you to reintroduce it in a new way that you've never done before. I, at least that's not going to taste good. It's going to have any flavor. Don't use oil to saute my veg. I don't know. I'm, I, that's the first thing I do is put butter or oil in the pan, right? So imagine me telling you, don't put that fat in the pan anymore. That's, that's a barrier to success. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So when my, when my dad finally made me a pot of beans with no meat, he called me, told me how good they were, and then said, I better hurry up and come over. <laughs> Sir, you not even, how can, right? So he, he like, they, they're delicious. And now he makes them that way. On Memorial Day, they made me a pot of beans with no meat, and we all as a family eating them that way. Right. Right. But we get he was able to we were able to get over that food intimidation. So it's not always new stuff. It's stuff that you're used to doing. And now you got to figure out how to redo it because you guys know that we don't throw out the beans and we don't throw out the greens. We don't throw out the mac and cheese. We're just throwing out the meat and dairy. You can still enjoy the things that you've always loved. Pizza and bur- they are still all available to you. Tacos is still all available to you. Right. Everybody understand that. So here was my solution. Right. So my solution to food intimidation and everybody's heard me say this, so I'm going to put the solution right under the problem. Okay, we got it. That's it. Now, what does new tries mean? Anybody who's ever worked with me knows one of my rules for every single one of my clients is to try one new thing a week. So that's the way I solved the problem. That's the way I eased into it. Right. So every time when I go to the market or the farmer's market, I pick up something I haven't had before or I pick up something I haven't had in a long time. So one of those weeks for me, it was a pomegranate for another week. Oh, instead of the yellow bananas, I just got the red bananas. Another week, I try something else new. Now I eat rutabagas. Now I eat parsnips. Now I eat all these nightshade vegetables. Right now I eat bulgur. Now I eat farro. Now I eat amaranth, all these grains I had never. But it started just trying one new thing a week and versus being overwhelmed and trying to do too much at once. Right. So, Thomas, OK, you've never cooked made fresh vegetables from scratch this week. I just want you. What's a what's a vegetable that you really like that's in the bag that's frozen? He like, well, I get broccoli a lot. Not just get one. One head of fresh broccoli. That's all you got to do this week. I don't want you to go load up your whole cart with a bunch of fresh produce and go home and be overwhelmed. Try one new thing. Okay, how do I do that? Just put a little water or just salt or just roast it. I did it. Right. And then we build up our confidence around food and cooking and grocery shopping. So that's the challenge I'm going to submit to you. One new try a week. Next time you come back, I want to hear what did you try different that you never had before? Do so different can be in the same family. You already know how to make kale. This week, you're just going to get the red kale instead of the green kale. So it doesn't even have to be something you necessarily have to look up a recipe for or go to YouTube. Right. This time, I'm going to get the dinosaur kale instead of the leafy green kale I'm used to. This time, I'm going to try my spinach raw instead of cooked or blended. Right. So new tries is what you're eating and the way in which you consume it can be different. Not so intimidating. We just do a little bit at a time. Okay. And so that's the way I solved the food intimidation problem. Now, what makes me special? What was my privilege? My privilege and me being able to get through this that might have made it easier for me than the average person was my exposure. 
I've lived in multiple countries. I've traveled the world. I have friends out of different cultures. So because I was able to like move to another country and live somewhere I didn't know the language and didn't know the city, right? I was exposed to these things and I was exposed to new tribes and new environments probably more than the average person, right? We know people who like don't travel or like to stay in their own little comfort zone. So anything outside of their comfort zone almost gives them anxiety, right? I don't get that anxiety with new stuff. I almost died of climbing a mountain in Thailand, right? Like I'm up for that. Like I'm up for that type of adventure, right? And so because I've practiced most of my life new tries, when it came to food, it might have been a little easier for me because I've intentionally exposed myself to the world and things. So I've eaten in the Vietnam, I've eaten in London, I've eaten in all these places. And so for me, it may still be a little easier. And I recognize that privilege. Make sense? Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. One of my closest friends here is South African. So one day we went out to dinner. She's like, Lisa, let's go to the Ethiopian restaurant on Northwestern Highway. She's like, I know the owner and I'm going to tell you what to I'm like, cool. Right. Because I'm surrounded with people who help me ex expose me to different things. So when it comes to my life, that's something I'm trying to conquer. And that becomes something I have to do. Try new things to learn this. It's a little easier for me. So that just happened to be my privilege. Make sense. OK. Number two. Ooh, y'all ready? I got a lot of notes about this one. I hope we don't run out of time. The second thing I had to overcome to become plant-based Huh? Okay. Addiction to sugar. Bye, Jill. Thank you. My addiction to sugar. Anybody want to testify and say I got? Anybody want to? Okay. Both. So, yes, to have an addiction to sugar, which you may or may not be aware of, because some people, at least I don't eat candy and dessert. I'm, I'm better than most, right? I, that ain't my problem. I ain't got no sweet tooth, right? But you don't know that your sugar is all in your salad dressing and in your pasta sauces and in your seasonings and in the processed foods you like. And you don't know that the white bread you eat on everything because it's been stripped of its fiber is nothing but pure sugar. And that's satisfying you, right? You don't think about the alcohol you drink that's a lot of sugar, right? So it's not just carrot cakes, cookies, and candy, right? Sugar isn't literally in everything. And if you don't have a 90% label-free diet, meaning you're still eating a lot of stuff out of a can, out of a bag, out of a box, out of a drive-through, then you're getting way more sugar than you can imagine. You don't know the sauce at the Thai or the Chinese places, a whole bunch of sugar, right? You're just thinking of desserts, but most of you guys have a sugar habit, right? We're all addicts, right? Okay, so sugar is a narcotic. So, and I'm always, I'm always talking about refined sugar. Refined sugar is the stuff that's been stripped and granulated. Your coconut sugar, your raw sugar, your sugar in the raw, your brown sugar, your date sugar, all of that sh stuff is sugar. It doesn't matter what the original source was. Don't tell me this is turbinado, right? That doesn't make it better. Okay, this is, this is, this is brown sugar, at least. I don't eat the white stuff. You're not, y'all think y'all cute. No, that's all, it's all, it's all a drug. 
okay? So that's what I mean when I say sugar. You're not addicted to bananas. Y'all not addicted. Y'all not addicted to blueberries. Y'all can have the sugar that's in fruit before you ask, okay? But 100% raw honey, 100% pure maple syrup, while that sugar too, they're natural sugars, but they still can satisfy your addiction if you're not watching. And you can go overboard with those as well, right? In my recipe book, I have a recipe for banana bread. Um, and the sweetener, I do add maple syrup, but you can also do it without. When I make it at home, sometimes I do it without because I just use really ripe bananas. Like when they're brown, that's when they're the sweetest. And I smash them up and I make my banana bread. So raw agave, don't heat it. So agave is used in Mexico to ferment tequila. And when we get it over here, we heat it up and process it, right? So it has to be 100% raw. But again, still minimal. Don't think, I had somebody at my last farm to table course ask, oh, I'm just switching out my sugar for agave now then. No, you're not. If you need to use it as a bridge, yes, but you need to get rid of it. Can anybody even imagine a life without sugar? <laughs> the panic. I need you to, your eyes are bucked. Your head is set. <laughs> Do you see like the anxiety that comes up with thinking about giving up something means it's a drug, right? What's up, Patrice? Is that what you're suggesting that? I'm going to get through it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's get through the solutions then. So I'm going to tell you what I did and I'm going to tell you my privilege. Okay. So addiction to sugar. Here's the first step that I did. There's three things I did to get over my sugar addiction. Okay. So I began to intentionally eat sugar. What? Meaning I only had sugar when I wanted sugar, meaning I became way more conscious of when I ate it. So, so when, when I had a sweet tooth and I wanted to go out and get a cookie or a um, piece of carrot cake or something like that, I intentionally went and got it. Right. There was I made sure I was only getting sugar in my diet from places I intentionally intended to eat sugar. What does that mean? I'm reading the labels on my salad dressing. I'm reading the labels on my pasta sauce. I'm reading the labels in anything I buy, any bread, whatever, because if there's sugar in that, I don't want it. I, no, I want sugar when I want sugar. You don't get to give it to me. So I became more conscious of when I can intentionally consume sugar. That's the first thing I did. Does that make sense? I intentionally ate it versus just letting the pieces fall where they may. So now I'm reading labels. I'm watching. I'm asking. Right. I go to a smoothie place. I only want the fruits and vegetables. Then I don't want the syrup. Right. I don't want I only when I want sugar, I'll go get it. You don't get to dictate my sugar intake. That makes sense to everybody. That's the first thing I did. OK, so that requires you. The easiest way to do this is to eat 80, 80 to 90 percent label free. Because if you're eating things that don't have a label, you're only eating the whole real food. That makes sense? I'm just eating a cucumber. I'm just eating a tomato. I'm just eating a potato, right, out of the produce section. There's nothing else in it but the cucumber, tomato, and potato. Now, when you got to start reading labels and when you're eating out a lot and you're not aware of their food practices, then you're getting a bunch of hidden junk that you didn't attend to eat. Make sense? Okay, so first thing I did is I started intentionally eating sugar. Second thing I did to get over my sugar addiction is I made it a chore to get. Oh, no, no, no. I made it a chore to get, meaning it's not in a house, it's not accessible. And I made better bad choices.
So it was never at home. So even if I, I intend to eat a dessert tonight, right? So I, that doesn't mean I can just walk to the kitchen and get it, okay? So that means it's, not, it's definitely not in the house. It's always a chore to get. And I made better bad choices, meaning I want a cookie, but I'm not going to subject myself to the Oreos and the Chip Ahoy that sit on the shelf for as long as they can until I'm ready to buy them. I'm going to the bakery and getting a fresh baked cookie that's going to go bad if I don't eat it. So I'm not eating the stuff that has preservatives in it. I'm not eating the stuff that has dyes and colors in it. I ate high quality sugar. <laughs> huh? I know. Don't tell nobody I said that. I know it's being recorded. But don't tell nobody I said that, right? It's no such thing. But you guys get what I'm saying, right? Like, I'm like, I'm, if, I, if I want a piece of chocolate, if I want ice cream, right? I ain't going to the frozen session that's going to have the frozen ice over it and all that nonsense when you open it up. Give me the fresh churn, boy, right? Give me the good stuff. I want the high-quality junk food. I'm not going to just settle for the Meyer brand. I'm not going to settle for the gas station. You know what I mean? Impromptu by that. I ain't mean to do that. I'm going to regret driving down a highway. No, I'm going to the bakery. I'm going to the fresh stuff. I'm going to have, who's the cake lady? She ain't about to hook me up, right? Can I get that German chocolate? Y'all ever have vegan German chocolate cake? Forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's delicious, right? So I, that's how I began to eat sugar. Like, let me get the highest quality because I'm aware that there, it can get worse. And I'm also aware that I, this is something I need to work through, Okay. So I made it a chore to get, and I made better bad choices. The third thing I did to get over my sugar addiction, this is huge. <laughs> this is really huge. I learned exactly what it does to my body. And this was the one that took me over the edge and I was able to then begin, a, a, begin to live a refined, sugar-free life. I taught a class Tuesday in Livonia called Fuel. And one of the, I actually recorded that one too. We only have four people in the class. So I did, a, I had them sit around the table and I said, we're going to do one-on-one -on -one coaching tonight, guys. So I'll probably upload that into the Black Health Academy. But it was really cool because I addressed everybody's personal issues. So one person, she raised her hand and she said, my problem is pop period. I'm addicted. I drink it every day. I can't get enough of it. I love pop. I said, well, pop isn't your issue. Sugar is. Pop is just your vehicle, right? So you're addicted to the sugar. I said, but <clears throat> do you know what sugar does to your body and your brain, right? Now, if I was to ask you guys that, what would you say? Does anybody know? Okay. 100%. Okay. So I heard inflammation. I heard that dopamine hit. I heard, right. So the average person, even though they know they're putting something not healthy in their body and they can say, this isn't healthy for me. This isn't good for me. The average person cannot articulate exactly what that means. So I, yeah, I know sugar isn't good for me. Uh, the most people know, okay, it'll probably, it'll make me gain weight. But I said, okay, do you know that sugar is the number one cause of Alzheimer's and memory and inability to concentrate is directly linked to sugar? She said, I, literally, I ain't even exaggerating. What? She was like, and she turned to her friend that she came with. Wasn't I just talking about in the car how I can't never remember nothing? <laughs> Straight up. 
you talking about a major light bulb? Her friend was like, yep, you was just in the car talking about that. <laughs> yep, right? And she was like, do you know the level of revelation that was for her? She knew it wasn't good for her, but she didn't know every time she drunk pop, she was doing it to herself, right? So she was like, oh, so I kept going. I'm like, hold on, I ain't done. That was just your first hit of this knowledge I'm about to drop, right? So I'm like, oh, no, it's that inflammation. It shuts down your immune system. I said, you get sick to what the She like, yeah. I'm like, you know, you ain't never supposed to be sick. She like, what? I said, you know, it deadens your immune system for 46 hours after you consume it and make you more susceptible to viral, bacterial, everything, infections, because your, your body ain't cre creating the antibodies to keep you healthy. She like, what? What? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, the inflammation in your body, you might think you need to lose weight, but you just might be chronically inflamed. What? I'm like, then the mucus, then it clog up your arteries, heart disease, there's this, that. She's like, I ain't never touch another pop again in my life. I said, okay. I got to check in with her. I'm going to see, right? Because, you know, you get motivated when you're in plant-based church, right? You be like, y'all leave here like, I'm done. I'm done. Y'all kick the door out. Let me back out into the world so I can go be great, right? I'd be like, okay, I'll see you next month, right? But, so she was motivated, but I ain't falling for it quite yet. I'm going to see. But when I was, I was, now she's able to articulate, and that was the game changer. That was the game changer for me. Why? Because I literally speak and teach and coach this for a living. So when you ask me a question, I have to be able to what? Access the information. I can't do that eating sugar with no memory. So this was messing with my money. I'm like, oh, it's a game changer. When I read that, I'm like, cause see, I would uh, maybe, you know, I was intentionally eating sugar. So uh, me and the homie Jay, we might go get a piece of carrot cake every once a month or something. I'm not worried about my weight anymore. So that wouldn't motivate me. I'm, I'm gonna stay a size four. I ain't worried about it. So it wasn't weight for me, right? It was. I'm like, and I don't do it often enough to probably get heart disease or a chronic condition, right? But because I know everything that sugar does to my body, I'm like, I can't afford even that no more. Top of the year, 2019, I said, I'm done with refined sugar and I haven't touched it this year. Why? Because I got to take it to the next level. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I know what my purpose is and what I'm here to do. And so I do you guys and myself a disservice by not being at my best every single time. So learning exactly what whatever your addiction is does to your body and your brain may possibly be the catalyst you need to come get over that hump, okay? Now, let me tell you what my privilege is on this. So, my advantage here is <clears throat> I make it look easy because like I just mentioned, I have to recall everything I teach and I have to just be sharp all the time for my clients and everybody that I serve. But what I learned about addiction is whether your addiction is sugar, or alcohol, cocaine, trash TV, gossiping about other people. That's not the problem, that's the answer, right? Sugar and alcohol is not your problem, it's your answer. What does that mean? There's a part of you that's unfulfilled, and this is your addiction that you use to make you feel good and whole in the moment, right? Here's my privilege. I've been blessed at my young age to find my gift. I stand in it, I live in it, I walk it. And so there's nothing you can offer me right now 
that will make me feel as good as what I'm doing right now. And some of y'all haven't found that. That's my privilege. You know what I mean? I understand that when I stand in front of you and talk, I'm, I'm filled up. My cup is full. So I was teaching at, the main, um, at Wayne State Medical School last, last month, and I was telling them, telling them about that because somebody asked me about addiction. I was like, well, to get over addiction, you got to handle your, your stuff. You got to get, you get your stuff and your life together because there's something you're not addressing, whether it be trauma that you ain't trying to work through, whether it be a dysfunctional relationship, whether it be your hate, love-hate relationship with your job and you despise what you do 40 hours a week that'll take a toll on you. So the only thing that make you feel good is eating, right? Whether if you're in some dysfunctional relationship a romantic relationship and you feel like they're controlling or whatever and your food is the only thing you can control yourself so you use it for that there's there's ways there's things we haven't unpacked right and so I'm explaining that and I'm like but guys I've literally found it for myself and I, and I know that everybody hasn't done that and so we walking out after the class and one of my regulars JW he's walking out with me he like so Lisa you telling me if you hit the powerball <laughs> you will still I said I will see you next month I said, I'll probably have to fly in. <laughs> I'll be honest. I ain't going to be coming from up the street no more. But I'll be here for class. That's what, you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm filled up when I do this. And so I know I don't have to turn to substances. I can stop eating that cake, that sandwich, them french fries. I don't need them to make me feel good. So if you have an addiction, then you, you have to address the other stuff. Sugar is not your problem, it's your answer. Make sense? Okay. She said, yeah. <laughs> All right. I got two more. Okay. Doing pretty decent on time. Okay. So that's that. So I'm going to move it over here to number three. So number three, the third thing I had to overcome to become plant-based was social and cultural implications. Now, what does this look like? This looks like one, one, one common one that a lot of people get and feel is guilt because they was raised this way, right? And so what does it look like? My mom comes to a lot of my lectures, right? And when I say, I was brought up on the same junk y'all was brought up on, and she's sitting right there, mm -hmm. right? And so that could make her feel a certain way. I did the best I could with what I knew as a mom. You see what I'm saying? And so when I go to um, you know, holiday dinners or cultural things that we have, you, you, you ain't eating no macaroni, cheese, greens, and dressing? You, you oh, cause you, so now all of a sudden I become, you become the saved person at the party, right? Oh, you, be you better? You better than us now? Oh, you don't, you don't find plant-based Jesus now? You, right? Right? So who do you think you are? Right? Yeah, everybody. So here I come. Like, <clears throat> when you get done making the ribs, can you not over clean the, only clean the grill? Can you put some aluminum foil down and clean your brush and then put my vegetables on there? <laughs> right? Who do I think I am demanding that? Right? And so to avoid this, to avoid these difficult conversations or these diff difficult occurrences, we just forget it. I'm going to eat what they eat or I ain't going to eat at all because I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Right? I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends or whatever, but um, I'm just going to go wherever they want to go. I'm not going to suggest anything 
Cause even though I don't eat that no more, so I just get a salad or won't eat at all. I'll eat before I go, and I'm going to watch everybody else, and I'm going to secretly not enjoy myself as much as I usually would because I don't want to speak up for myself, right? Or I don't want to ask the waiter or whoever to make some concessions for me because I don't want people to start asking me questions. What, you vegan now? You vegetarian now? Right? So I'm not going to address it, and, I, and I'm going to keep not speaking up for myself and so it's going to lead to me keep engaging in these behaviors. Or maybe you live with the person, right? I remember a client of mine, her husband, she's like, I'm trying to eat the He don't want to do it, right? He keep bringing home whatever, right? Hot and ready's pizza, burgers, whatever. And she ain't strong enough to resist yet. Or when he finally got on board, she felt guilty. So when she went to the grocery store, y'all, she was like, Lisa, I stood at the dairy and in the meat section. For you, you don't know how long I kept putting it in the cart, taking it out, put it in the cart, taking it out. Because when I left the house that morning, he said, I sure got a taste for some pork chops. So I'm his wife. I've always cooked for him our whole marriage. Even though he has high cholesterol and he's on the medication for it, I feel guilt for no longer wanting to give it to him. So I bought it. Right. So because she's the one in the household who does the grocery shopping and the cooking. Right. And so she's trying to make this transition, but she's sabotaging him because of the guilt. So these social and cultural implications, right, whatever they may look like for you, it becomes a challenge for a lot of people. I, people think they're punishing their children by giving them vegetables. Uh, I want to they, they, they deserve a cupcake. They deserve McDonald's. Right. Because we've always used it. Culturally, we've always used food as a reward or punishment. If you don't do do, we're not going to go get X. If you do this, then we'll go get pizza. We'll go get this, right? Right? And so it's so amazing. I've watched Jay with her children. She, they do activities. We'll go see a movie. We'll go walk. We'll play in a park. But we're, you, know, you don't get pizza, burgers, and fries just because of X. We, we are taught young to associate food with behavior with reward and so we grow up and do that it's your birthday what does that mean turn up right that means drink what you want that means you deserve to eat greasy food that doesn't even make sense but it's a cultural thing we've done we're celebrating we have to have fried chicken right you guys you ain't gonna have fried chicken at the party <laughs> We got a personal story over here, right? So you guys know what I'm saying? So these are, these are daily struggles for people, like how to interact with the people you love or your coworkers when you don't want to talk about it yet. You ain't mastered it yet. You don't want nobody asking you questions. You eating in your car now with a salad and a quinoa. Like, I, used to, I had a client who did that. Like, Lisa, I just stopped eating in the lunchroom because I couldn't deal with people keep coming up to me. At, you know what I mean? So that's real, that intimidation from other people, right? So how did I get over this, right? So, oh, before I tell you how I got over it, I would, one of the things that I wanted to mention is when I went to um, that conference in North Carolina a couple weeks ago, Dr. Melton Mills, he did a phenomenal lecture, and he identified three uh, thought processes of people, three different ideologies. And the first one was most people are, are, are this way, I'm just going to jot them down, then I'm going to erase them. But most people fall in one of these categories. So they're either nihilistic. This means nothing matters. 
Like, like that lady who says, I'm, I'm not going to live to retirement anyway, right? So this means some people believe no matter what I do, this is going to be the outcome, so what's the point? Now, we usually hear this when it comes to, like, voting, right? What's the point of voting? It ain't going to matter, right? So there's people who think like this, like, it don't matter what I, I'm going to have type 2 diabetes, I'm going to have, or I could get hit by a bus, so what do it matter? I shouldn't even try, because what does it matter, right? And then there's this person, right? And this is more of what I'm talking about with this, social and cultural implications. It's normative, right? We've always done this. This is the way I was raised. This is just the way we eat. It's just what we've always done. What's the big deal? It's tradition. It's the way things are done. And it is what it is, right? And so this is how most people think. And that's why you get a lot of pushback from people when you say, no, I'm giving up this stuff. I'm, I don't have to have macaroni and cheese made with dairy, right? I don't have to have ribs or sausages or hot dogs at the barbecue. The babies don't have to have a snack bag cut plus cupcakes plus pizza plus juice at a birthday party, right? You get pushback because that's the way it's always been done. So why would you change that, right? And then there's this person. Dr. Melton was good with this one. Aspirational. I don't eat like them peasants. I eat filet mignon, right? I get the highest quality cuts of meat. Hello, right? I eat the fancy spreadable cheeses with my wine, right? So this person is like, <laughs> right, like I'm, I'm better than, I don't eat that junk like those lower people. So this is a person who think they are doing good because they buy, you know, grass-fed beef, right? So this is where most people fall, but this usually comes from the normative people. Like, why are you trying to change what we've, how it's always been, right? So I thought that was a cool concept to share. So now let me tell you my solution to social and cultural implications. Um, I need my rag to erase. Okay. So mine, one goes back to this exposure. Two, I'm going to talk about this in a second. Um, education. I eat exactly what you're doing right now. I've planted some seeds in some of you guys' heads, right? And now a lot of this you'll begin to think about differently, right? So I'm often, quite often, where you are. I go to conferences. I go to lectures. I go to I read books. I go hear people speak all the time. Because what happens is 75% of African-Americans are overweight or obese. Yes, and I'm sure that's low. Also, over 50% of the country is on, on at least one prescribed medication, right? Also, every conversation, and I probably hear it more than you just because I work in this field, Somebody, I got type 2 diabetes, I got high blood pressure, I have high cholesterol, I have an autoimmune disease, I suffer from chronic pain, I suffer from headaches. So what happens, and I'm sure you guys either overhear these conversations or you swap these stories back and forth with co-workers, loved one, girl, I got this, I got that, this is what I'm on, this is what my doctor said, this is what I do, this is how I'm managing, I don't even go no more because my knees hurt too bad. So you're swapping these stories. So it becomes so commonplace to you that it no longer sounds dysfunctional or problematic. I'm surrounded by peers. So if I look around and I see everyone is overweight, I begin to not feel, even though I know I need to lose the weight, it, I'm amongst friends. 
Does that make sense? It's, it's, I'm amongst company. I'm, you know, so it's now more of an anomaly. I think me and Jay was talking about it. Like, kids don't get bullied at school for being overweight no more. They all overweight. Now we got to find something else, right? Now you get bullied for being lean. Crazy. Because it's so common, right? And so because I see, so now I've been intentional. I'm like, time's out. Let me go expose myself to, because this can't be, because if I stay where I am and hang with the people I ha- and go to the places I go, when I see this over and over again, I'm going to begin to think this is okay. Right? So exposure was huge. So now you come here and you, I remember the reason I changed my company name to Professionally Fit is because a girl inboxed me and said, at least I'm 300 pounds overweight. I'm supposed to do this documentary about black entrepreneurship, but I'm thinking about not doing it because I'm so insecure about my body. And then I remember this was a time in my life where I was just studying other black entrepreneurs. And every time I would see them in the Forbes magazine, the Essence magazine, on TV, everybody was overweight. And I'm like, this don't make no sense. I'm like, oh, I'm changing my company name professionally fit, and I'm targeting black female entrepreneurs. And I'm going to teach you how your weight directly impacts your business, the opportunities you get, the opportunities you go after, and everything. Don't tell me it doesn't. It does. And, and not only that, toting all that around is a problem. You're not operating at optimal capacity, right? And so, but me as a, a black female entrepreneur, if I had a just saw that all the time and was like, you know, I just got to grind. I just got to get this money. I could easily have let my health go because it don't look that I'm watching all them. It's OK for them. So it wouldn't have been a big deal if I you know what? I, I'm not going to go to the gym for the next three months. I'm not going to drink my water. I'm not going to eat my plants. I'm just going to eat quick and convenient so I can get back to the grind. If I subscribe to that because that's what I saw, then I would have ended up like them. But I made sure I now expose myself to the black entrepreneurs who are doing, they stay fit, they take care of their health, and they run successful companies. Because that's what I'm after. So that exposure matters. Make sense? Okay. So exposure, education. I go to a lot of conferences. I don't just teach and speak. I'm always, I'm a student as much as I'm a teacher. Extremely important. Extremely important. Because then you will know that brown sugar ain't better. Right? (laughs) You just like, you know, sometimes you only came here for that one nugget. Like, damn, I thought I was killing it with the oatmeal in the morning. <laughs> I promise you. you. Don't y'all be thinking y'all doing something healthy and mess around and learn? Like, kombucha got too much sugar. Oh, I've been drinking that every day. So sometimes you just need that. You know what I mean? Okay, so, um, or I remember, so today, I'm excited. So today um, is the Naturally Fly um, Natural Hair Expo at the Artist Village on Larson Grand River from 1 to 9, and I'm speaking on the health panel at 3.30. I can't wait. I'm going to take my break. I'm going to have my fro out, right? But I remember going natural, right? Now, I could have looked around and saw all the bundles, all the weaves, all the tracks, all the press outs, and thought that was normal. But what happened? I intentionally started going around, going to events like that, and saw that natural hair was beautiful, and I didn't have to be a part, subscribe to my hair only look good or I'm only pretty if it's this, if it's straight, if it's long, if it's whatever. Exposure, right? Okay, so here were my advantages. I know you was coming, so I'm about to use you as an example. 
It's not. It's, it's real. It's real quick though. Oh, I'm, I'm, we're not, I'm not writing down my privilege. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, so my privilege is I had two privileges here. The first one is so going plant based and the social and cultural implications were not a huge hindrance for me because one of my first exposures to night meat eating me was Jack. She was vegetarian before we went vegan, long before. So I was blessed, I was privileged to have a very close friend. My best friend had already started doing, some of y'all don't have that. Some of y'all gonna be the first, right? But I'm like, oh, she ain't eat meat. Her mom ain't, her sister ain't, don't really eat me like that, Mina. Like, I'm like, I already see that this is available to me. You see what I'm saying? So she was vegetarian before all of us even went vegan. And I'm like, okay. So I had that privilege of having somebody close to me show me that it's possible and why she didn't do it. And I was able to learn some of those things, right? The second privilege I had, and, and I'm very fully aware of this, is I'm more prone to lead than I am to be a follower, right? I'm more prone to lead than I am to be led. I'm a natural leader. And I'm highly aware of that. Most people are not, and it's totally okay, but most people are going to follow the crowd. When new technology and everything comes out, um, the people that run out and get the newest techie thing or whatever, or a brand new thing that nobody's heard of, like, oh, what's these 3D glasses they walking around on the street on, right? The people who are more likely to try that first are called early adopters, right? I'm more of an early adopter where I don't need validation from my peers to do something. I'm aware that that's a privilege for me. Most of us need confirmation from other people before we try something. Now, this is not always a bad thing because the good news for you is plant-based eating is trending, right? You hear everybody's talking about giving up meat or whatever. So following a crowd ain't always a bad thing. Y'all might just be following a crowd, and that's okay. It's just you just be happen to be following them in a positive direction. Sometimes we follow for not so great. Entrepreneurship is trending. I would love to see everybody in here be an entrepreneur. So I'm not saying following a crowd is bad. It's okay to do it depending on what it is, right? But I just happen to be more prone to lead than to be led. And I know that I don't need anybody. I never forget Jay told me like, oh my God, when you quit your job with the state and just said bump it all and move to another country, I was like, whoa, we can do that, <laughs> right? I don't need valid, I'm, uh, we out of here, I'm going, it don't matter. It don't matter, I'm like, whatever, whatever I wanna do. I don't have, I don't ask for permission. I just, what Lisa Nichols say, I just give notice, <laughs> right? but I know that's a privilege for me. And some of us require a little more validation before we try something. So that's why the social and cultural implications were maybe slightly easier for me because I, I could sit at a dinner table with five friends eating meat and be like, I don't care, I ain't doing what y'all doing. Now back to what we was talking about, right? But other people, they wanna be accepted and they wanna be, they don't wanna ruffle feathers and I get that, okay? So that was my privilege there. All right, so I think I got one more. Doing good, 11.39, okay. The final thing I had to overcome to become plant-based, and this one is most, most everyone I know struggles with this one. Miseducation and misconceptions. Whoever wrote this, this is you. What's plant-based protein sources, right? That's mis misconception. I'm not going to get enough protein, right? 
right? So I had stuff, I'm like, oh, I've always been told, right? You've always been told you need dairy for? Bones, calcium, probiotics, right? So you're you going to question me. Give up dairy, so how am I going to get my probiotics? Give up dairy, so how am I going to get my calcium? Give up meat, so how am I going to get my protein? You don't, you're miseducated and you, you just have misconceptions. So now you have to learn this because that's going to be a barrier to you becoming plant-based. You believing you're not going to get everything you need to thrive, right? And so that's a big one for people because vegans are so radical. That's why I don't like y'all. Right? Y'all, y'all so extra team too much, right? And so you, because you know a radical vegan or you've seen them or somebody did a YouTube video, you're like, I ain't going vegan if that's cool. Uh-uh, right? Because that must be what vegans do. No, that's just the loud ones with a YouTube channel. We all ain't like that, right? I, I don't judge you. I don't go out with my friends like, why are you putting that in your, but sometimes we'll yell at Tajma. But I'm saying, <laughs> she, she deserves to be yelled at sometimes. But that's, you know, but she can take it. She's tough. She don't care about us. Right. But we I don't I, I teach this for a little, I want y'all to be healthy. What do I look like behind y'all back judging y'all for what y'all do. But if you've seen somebody who's radical, you get the implication that that's what they're like. So I don't want to give that up because I don't want to be grouped in or labeled as. Right. So it's that misconception or miseducation. So. Oh, I said not enough protein, need dairy, blah, blah, blah. Vegans are radical. Oh, another misconception. And I usually start the class defining this, but. Vegan equals plant-based, right? So a lot of people think when I give a meat and dairy, that automatically means I'm plant-based. That's another misconception. So then they don't eat right when they give up meat and dairy. And they're like, oh, my iron was low. All oh, this was low. I was weak. I got headaches. I couldn't sleep right. I gained weight. And so I tried vegan. It ain't work for me. No, yeah, you tried vegan. You ain't, you ain't go plant-based, Right? Because vegan is the absence of animal products, plant-based is the intentional presence of whole real food, of plants, with the absence of refined sugar and all those, all that junk. You still got to give up your addictions if you want to be truly plant-based. You at least get in control of them, right? But people think vegan and plant-based are synonymous, another misconception. You believe that because food companies have put plant-based on meatless products. It's just meatless. It's just dairy-free. That don't mean it's plant-based. Make sense? Okay. So another misconception, um, <laughs> eating this way is extreme. Oh, food is nasty, bland, and no variety. You, look, when she rattled off her food, you said, no, uh-uh. Tell them about that stuffed red pepper you should tell me about. Y'all remember that meme that had that girl squinting? Yeah. I'm like, fine, I'm bland and tasteless. I can't, I can't say it don't sound, it sounds good, right? I hear variety, right? Like, and we, we have, like, there's options, but you haven't been exposed. You don't have a go-to recipe source. You don't have a coach. You're trying to DIY everything. And so what you do, you get caught up in your same spinach, kale, black bean, and sweet potato. And you like, I, I'm bored, and I messed around and ate a steak, right? <laughs> I, Cause some, for some reason, when y'all get bored, you think you gotta fall back into a chicken wing, right? I'm like, oh, that's what that meant. Yeah, I had got tired of that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> y'all make up any excuse. 
Okay, so my solution to miseducation and misconceptions was seeing for myself. So what does that mean? I'm like, let me just, am I really going to be not have enough protein? Let me just, let me just try, let me see if my bones never get, am I going to get headaches and I'm going to get brittle and weak? Let me just try this thing out for a couple weeks and see how it really, you know, let me try and confirm the science. Because if it's a good study, right, if you've ever been in a science class, right, you have a hypothesis, I ain't going to get enough protein, you got to test and you got to validate the hypothesis, right? But what do we do now? We take major headlines for law as opposed to what? Testing the hypothesis, right? Let's validate the, the way you ensure, can I duplicate this result? So in, in science, you test, right? You get the result, which means any other scientist should be able to come behind you, do the experiment, and get the same result, right? Validate the result, and then we can print it as law. Right. But now we just too late. We just like the New York Times said eggs was OK. That's all I needed to read. Y'all kind of be. But Lisa, they saying now that egg, who said it What was the study and did you validate it? Don't come to me with a headline. Right. Then we do it. It's so easy. It's so much propaganda. Right. The egg industry, the meat industry, the dairy industry, the billions of dollars. Thousands of lobbyists in D.C. fighting for their right to tell you that their product is healthy for you. So when you see a study, did you, the girl told me in a class last Tuesday, I just read an article that said this was good for you now. I said, did you click on it, read the study, see who funded the study, see how, what was the sample size of the study? Did they test two people or 2,000? I'm saying we don't, we're not reading the fine print. So I just went and saw for myself. Let me eat this way. I feel amazing. Years later, I still feel amazing. I'm knocking them out the party since you aging in reverse, maybe. Right? Skin popping, life popping, I feel great. Right? But I validated for myself. Right? And again, I came and learned from a source that I felt was credible. Right? So a lot of, guys, a lot of you guys bless me by coming back every Saturday. Why? Because you think I'm credible. And a lot of you have taken what I said and you went and validated it. You want lying when you said drinking water first thing in the morning, keep you regular, and that's all I needed? Y'all tell me all the time. You was right. Y'all send me emails. I can't believe it. I told my sister. She did it. <laughs> y'all do it because y'all share it and y'all validate again and get the same results. I saw for myself. Yeah? Okay. And so my advantage here with miseducation and misconception is I've committed my life to helping people, to healing people, so it's literally my job to know this stuff, right? I didn't pay for my own ticket at that Peapod conference two weeks ago. I didn't. Somebody else paid for it for me, right? Because I'm helping them with their company, and he's like, I want you to be at this conference. So that was a privilege for me. So now I'm going sitting in rooms with all these plant-based doctors and learning more of this stuff Right. But I was escorted in because I literally do this for a living. Do you see what I'm saying? So my advantage is I have access that the average person might not have to some of this stuff. And I'm aware of that as well, because I teach this. It is literally my job to stay in the know of everything you might potentially ask me. 
I have to know about keto. I got to know about this. I got to know about waist trainers, God forbid. Right? I got to know about all of this stuff because you're going to ask me. So I am constantly checking misconceptions and miseducation. When I see some trending that everybody's talking about in the health field, I'm, I'm going to an air fryer class next Wednesday. Perfect example. Why? Because everybody want to know, Lisa, can I use the air fryer? I'm like, let me, go, let me go make sure, right? And I'm going to that class for free because I have privilege. So I understand that that's the privilege that I have access to that helps me get over this a little quicker. Make sense? Okay, any questions about this? Did y'all like that? Yeah. That was cool? Okay, good. All right, so I'm gonna hit y'all questions over here. Um, all right, any more notes? Nope, I, I told y'all everything I need to tell y'all about farm to table and stuff. Any questions? Yes, let's answer this question. When was the last year that heart disease was not the number one cause of death in the U.S.? First of all, all of y'all didn't answer the question. It's more than nine people here. <laughs> Annie like it wasn't me. I'm one of the nine. <laughs> She said 42. What's your answer? I would say 1960. 60s. Okay. 60s. Whenever, whenever, what y'all say? I said whenever grocery stores, like, whenever that, whatever that year was, it's probably the answer to that. No doubt. You know what's interesting about that, Annie, is I actually heard um, a gentleman say at one of his lectures, do y'all know what the worst invention was for health? And he said supermarkets. Yep. Yeah, because we're no longer um, getting our food straight out, straight out of the ground to mouth. So it's not being um, nurtured by the f sun the whole time before we consume it. And I was like, yo, he's like, so now your food, first of all, of course, is being processed and packaged and, sit and preserved to sit on a shelf in artificial light. Yep. And I was like, ooh. So you said real food rot. So food was rotten in the 18th. Come on with the Lisa quotes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Any more before we before I reveal the answer? Everybody voted. Dion, did you vote? No. What's your answer? <laughs> you gotta call some people out. All right. <laughs> Anything else? 1918. But here's why. It's not because the food quality wasn't good, it's because of a pandemic. The number one cause of death at that time was the Spanish flu. So it took out about 50 million people worldwide, over 600,000 of those were in the U.S. So it's not that there was another health issue that had to do with our food. It's that it was the, the Spanish flu virus was a part of, of, of H1N1. And because medicine wasn't as advanced at that time, we didn't have the antibiotics and everything to treat it. And so medicine wasn't advanced and people were dying for this. Now we have right, a way to treat it. So from 1918 to 1920, Spanish flu was the number one cause of death. But since then, it's been heart disease. Ain't that deep? So I thought that was some fun little trivia. Okay, so that's the answer to that. I'm going to cut the recorder off so 
Should I end with something nice and cute? <laughs> no. <laughs>